How did Christ humble himself? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hear the Story presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of the Hear of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of Scripture. I'm Brian DeBozik, and with me is Aaron Armstrong. Aaron, today we are talking about the doctrine of Christ's humiliation. Mm-hmm. Um, Cheery gonna, doctrine. Th- well, it is. I mean, really, you, um, it, it's heavy, as we're going to see. Philippians alone, uh, that we're going to look at, that passage alone clues us into the heaviness of this, the consequences of, of the, the humility of, of Christ and mm-hmm. his act of humiliation. And, and I think that's a big thing we're going to have to see is uh, humility is not just a, a posture of, of internally, it, that's part of it, but it expresses an action. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see that. Um, but it is, I mean, it's an encouraging because it was through his humiliation that we get to his exaltation, which is going to be our next essential doctrine for next episode. And this is another one, if anybody's been listening to this for a while, first of all, thank you for sticking with us. Mm-hmm. Um, more power to you. Uh, but we have seen so many of these uh, doctrines kind of form in little um, uh, briefer sub Sections, yeah, sub series, micro series, yeah, micro series. There you go, yeah. Um, and this is another one Christ's humiliation and his exaltation go hand in hand. So, before I can't think of any other words, get stuck, words are hard. Um, why don't you read some words, Aaron? Why don't you read this essential doctrine and then we'll go from there? I am going to do that right now because I'm excited to read this description of Christ's humiliation. Um, also, just the fact that we called it Christ's humiliation uh, is an interesting thing because it's language that's kind of that's not terribly f- common these days. And to to think about like because humiliation has a very negative context yeah. in our society, where in the context of Scripture, um, you're going to see it's much much different. So yeah, it's not the embarrassment we usually think yeah. of humiliation. I embarrassed myself. I, I was yeah. humiliated. Yeah. It's not that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, although God the Son was equal with God and worthy of all glory, all the glory God receives, he chose to humble himself by taking on human flesh. He left his glorious state and came in the likeness of sinful flesh, and he experienced a humiliating death on a cross by becoming sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, as we always do, let's try and summarize this down a little bit to, to really make it as clear as possible. And, and here's what I would say there is, is that um, to really understand Christ's humiliation, it's this, that Christ humbled himself by taking on human form and becoming sin for us. Yeah, and, and that's a big part of it. That taking on the flesh, of course, is at the core of this. It's not only, but it's a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times we think of, of the cross becoming sin and, and paying that penalty. And that couldn't happen if he didn't take on the flesh. So they're linked closely together. Mm-hmm. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at a, a couple of verses, three verses, I believe. I'll do the first two and save the third for you, the Philippians. Awesome. Probably the, the classic passage of this. I'll let you have the fun of, of walking through that one. Thank you. Um, but the first one is Romans 8, and, and it reminds us of what I just talked about, the taking on the flesh aspect. 
in verses three and four specifically, this is what we, we find there. For what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirements would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And again, that's Romans 8, 3 and 4 from the CSB. So there we have, it does talk about the sacrifice becoming sin and so forth, but that, that idea of taking on the flesh, and you see Paul is really emphatic. Several times he mentioned flesh there. Uh, because the, the wages of sin is, is death, fleshly death, that had to happen. Mm-hmm. So you think about, and this is what you're going to have fun in talking about in Philippians 2, you know, the creator enrobing himself in flesh is, is humbling. Um, he lowered himself, and that's kind of the idea of this humiliation. Yeah. The other passage, I, I, I want to give you Philippians 2 because I just love 2 Corinthians 5.21, so I was selfish. Uh, we, we read that, uh, or you read this in, in that verse. He, meaning the Father, made the one who did not know sin, meaning the Son, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so there uh, we have that more of the focus on the sin offering, that, that Christ became sin. He paid the punishment for sin so that we could not only be forgiven, but also that we could receive or be credited his Christ's own righteousness. So again, this is all because of the humiliation of the son that enabled all these things to happen. Yeah. And, um, and now we get to turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 11. And as you said, this is kind of the classic passage that deals with actually both um, Christ's humiliation and its counterpoint, Christ's yes. exaltation. And so we'll revisit this actually when we talk about that next. But, um, but we want you to hear the whole thing together. So uh, this is uh, verses 5 through 11. Uh, Adopt the same attitude of that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so right there at the beginning, we, we see this very clearly. Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal God the Son, who always was and is and ever will be God, equally God as the Father, equally God as the Son, did not hold on to his equality in the sense that he didn't, um, he had every right to it, he embraced it, he didn't deny it, but for the purposes of God's plan, he did not, he did not, he didn't, and in coming into the world, he did not exploit his godness um, in that. He did not reject God's plan, if you will, even though he wouldn't have done that because it was part of his plan anyway. Yeah. But <laughs> um, he didn't see himself as being above humanity in the sense that he wouldn't come into the world to become like us, take on our form 
in order to rescue us. That's ultimately what it's talking about. Jesus, uh, even as the eternal God, um, apart from being the God man, and you can't put, take those two apart, yep. but, um, you know what I mean? Um, he, he was humble even then. The idea of coming, of taking on the likeness of his image bearers was not so abhorrent and offensive to him for the purposes of, of God's glory that he wouldn't do it. Yeah, the, the fancy word for this is condescension. And we, mm-hmm. we, we talk about divine condescension. And, and again, it's another term like humiliation that we have a little bit of a misunderstanding when we hear it at times, because we think of condescension as talking down at somebody, being snooty and, mm-hmm. and talking down. That's condescending. Uh, that's yeah. not what divine condescension is. It is lowering oneself. It's coming down to our level. And that's what we yeah. see here. We see it also through scripture. Divine condescension is also just how God explains himself to us because we we lack the mind of God. We can't understand the things of God because we're not God. Right. And so for us to understand, he has to come down to our level. He has to explain things on our level. Yeah. Um, this is the anthropomorphisms, for example, in scripture where yeah. God describes himself in human terms to give us a fighting chance to understand him. Yeah. So this is one of those times where Christ stepped into creation, took on the flesh, as you were talking about, as a way to condescend, to come down to our level so mm-hmm. that in turn, we could be raised up with God. Yes. Uh, not as God, but to be restored into relationship yeah. with God. Yeah. And that's really important because, I mean, God as our father... He, he is acting as a true father would. So you and I, when we're talking to our kids, we talk to them in language that they understand. God the Father, and indeed God the Son, and God the Spirit do, do likewise. They speak to us in the way that we understand at a level that we can understand it. Because they want us to understand this. Yes. They they slash he wants us to understand this. There's yeah. that there's that, uh, <laughs> that, that that tension of the Trinity. That's right. That's right. Let's um, not be heretics, Brian. <laughs> no, let's try not to be. And and that's again that's kind of what we're looking at. The same concept of uh, of God wanting to us to understand, which is why He speaks to us the way He does in Scripture, mm-hmm. is the same thing because He wants to be in relationship with us. He condescended. Yes. Christ took on the flesh. All right, we've, we've already started morphing this way as we tend to do, but let's let's kind of officially, Yes. so let's plant the stake. We are official now in the next section, talking about any other cautions or any other errors needing understanding. Um, Aaron, wh- what else do we have to keep in mind as well, we think about this doctrine? Yeah, well, one of the first things that we need to really, uh, really keep in mind is this whole idea of emptying himself that we see in verse seven of Philippians. And there's a lot of confusion that comes in with that. And some people have tried to make the argument that, you know, in coming to earth, Jesus was really only a human being, which I mean, is a denial of fundamentally a denial of the hypostatic union. Yes. Which of course is the understanding that in Jesus, there are two natures, human and divine, that exist simultaneously without mixture or compromise. And how that works, we don't know because we are not, uh, we, it's too big for us. Add it to the long list of things we don't know. Absolutely. However, um, the emptying himself w- did not diminish his, his divinity at all. It's best understood as that 
really, he was adding on yeah. flesh. He was adding on like really just yeah. human form. If you, if you even want to entertain the category of, you know, limiting himself in his incarnation. And I, and I don't think it's wrong to use that language in the context of incarnation. Yeah. Um, remember that as divine God, the son, Jesus was not constrained by place and time. He was not limited in those senses, but in the incarnation, he was limited. And so there is a sense in which there is that, that, you know, that sense of being limited in, in any respect, but, but fundamentally Jesus did not lose his status as God, even in the incarnation. And, and I, I think that takes me to the next tangent warning, mm-hmm. and it's that Christ's humiliation was entire, entirely voluntary on his part. And it kind of speaks to what you're saying. This, um, If there is this, this aspect of him limiting himself, it was done to himself. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody forced the Son to be humbled. We, and, and again, this is where we can misunderstand in our daily lives, how many times have we been humbled by somebody else? You know, somebody says something and it brings us down. Sometimes mm-hmm. we need it, sometimes not. Um, but a lot of times we're passive recipients of humiliation, of humbling. Yeah. That's not what happened here. Christ willingly took on the flesh. He mm-hmm. willingly humbled himself. He chose to do this, knowing what it would entail, knew, knowing that he would suffer and die on the cross, knowing that people would reject him and scorn mm-hmm. him, knowing that he would choose to limit you know, you know, some of his divineness. Yes. Trying to like you, I'm trying to be very careful not to fall into heresy here. Yeah. Um, Like limit his use of in a context. Yes. Yes. So when we think about this, um, you know, even just go think about him laying down his life, um, to think of, of the God man dying, uh, he said very clearly, nobody's taking my life from me. I'm laying it down. So this whole idea of him humbling himself is by his own goodwill, which adds further to our awe, or it should add further to our awe of him. And just this awareness of how good he is to, to willingly do these things for us. Yeah. yeah. And I'm glad that you mentioned that, that he, that in his choice, he chose to lay down his life and he said, I am, I am laying down my life. But he also said, and I will pick we'll it up. Take again. it up. And so that shows, again, that shows that tension that it's like Jesus died and he really died. But he also, he also, he also had the power to defeat yeah. death. Um, and that leads into this next point really, which is that um, we have to remember, um, you know, that second Corinthians language is very confusing uh, because it says that Jesus became sin yeah. for us so that we would become the righteousness of God. And and the big idea that we really need to make sure that we hold tightly is that while, yes, Jesus became sin, he did not sin. And that's, and that's the key thing. So uh, really what that's talking about is that the sins of the world were placed on him. And so... Um, uh, so it's not his sin. His he had no personal culpability yeah. for 
the punishment that he willingly took in order to rescue humanity. And there, again, the, there's the key. He willingly took it so that, that anyone who believes in him will be saved. Yeah. That's a big deal. And that's essential for us because without Jesus doing that, if Jesus had moral culpability in terms of, in terms of his own sin to deal with, we would still owe our sin debt. We would still be functionally doomed. Yeah. Because there's no hope in the gospel unless Jesus really, truly was sinless. Yeah, it's at the core of this gospel, as this this doctrine is. And and I guess that as we drive toward what difference it should make, just, again, let's just say it, gratitude is in order here. When we think about Christ's hum, humiliation, um, how important, how critical, essential it is to the gospel itself, you know, this we should find joy and gratitude in this. But also I would say that this doctrine has to be seen in light of all other doctrines, and, and we've been intimating this. But Jesus is not just the suffering servant. He, you know, we, we can't isolate just this doctrine, his humiliation, as we're going to talk about next episode, his exaltation, because we remember he's the conquering king as well. He is almighty God. And so let's not make the mistake of seeing him as, as one who is too lowly. We also have to see him as one who is exalted, mm-hmm. just like the opposite mistake. We should not look at Jesus just being exalted and not fail or fail rather to see and understand how he lowered himself. Both of these are important. Yeah. All right. So the last thing that we should, we should remember as we wrap this up is uh, that we, um, yes, we need to see this doctrine in light of all the other doctrines. Yes. um, uh, His, this is at the core of the gospel. Um, We are also called to pattern our lives, to mod, like to see Jesus' example of humility as pattern of humility as a model for our own lives. So, um, I mean, that's that's the heart of of what Philippians two two started with, with have this um, have this mind, adopt this same attitude, um, is is how the CSB puts it. Um, so we don't um, now. There are certain things that we don't do, of course, like for example. We don't lay down our lives for the sins of the world. Yeah. That's not possible for us. Um, But we are called to be humble even to the point of death. Yes. Um, And so that's a hard thing for us to take, particularly in a very highly individualistic uh, society. Um, um, If we are living in North America, if we're living in the West in general, um, radical individualism rules the day, which me, which is directly opposed to the pattern of life that Jesus demonstrated again and again and again, and that scripture calls us to. Um, I'll tell you, I really wrestle with that. It's, it's hard. So I'm not pointing fingers at anyone but myself first um, <laughs> um, in, in saying this. Um, so, but but the point is, is that that um, it calls us to a higher standard than than our culture does, um, including the ways that it that it naturally seeps into our experience as Christians, and we need to let this doctrine and this this 
reality of what Jesus has done um, challenge and correct us as we seek to live hum- uh, live humbly in way and um, to live winsome lives that, that demonstrate the power of the gospel. Use our words, use, uh, use our very being on every level to show how amazing and life-changing what Jesus has done for us truly is. That's a good word to end on, Aaron. Let's, uh, let's wrap it up there. Thanks for, for sharing about that. And uh, I do want to thank you for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you have enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry in the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com. 